Welcome to the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast with Ian and Johnny. Discussing our passions of sport, OCR, running, and fitness to help you perfect your craft. Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast. Now, this past weekend saw one of the events of the year take place, the Backyard Ultra, which took place simultaneously in 21 different countries worldwide. And the Singapore version of this event was run by Fatbird Events, who are part of the Red Dot Running Company, our partners for the podcast. Fatbird have some great events lined up for when restrictions in Singapore are lifted, and we've included a link to their website in the show notes. Red Dot, thank you as always for your support. Team UAP, we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential Podcast, where we dive into the minds of athletes, coaches, and industry experts to find out the secrets to their success. As we interview our guests, we aim to discover practical and positive advice to help you guys perfect your craft. I am Johnny T, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian D. For this week, we'll take a quick pause from our 5K series, which we most definitely will be coming back to, uh, to focus on an event which started this past weekend and finished just before we started recording. Ian, tell us more. Yeah, Johnny. So there was a phenomenal event that was happening right on my doorstep, but was also happening in 21 different countries worldwide. And this was called Big's Backyard Ultra, which is a last runner standing event, which involved a maximum of 15 competitors, as I said, from 21 countries. And that included the UK, the US, and of course, Singapore, where athletes complete a 6.7 km course on the hour every hour. Now, 6.7 kilometers seems like a bit of a strange distance, but there's a reason for that. If you complete 24 loops over 24 hours, that equates to exactly 100 miles. And I assume for people taking part in this event, that's kind of the benchmark goal to get to. Now, if you don't make it back to the start line before the hour, you're given a DNF. I did not finish. But if you do make it back in time, you can use however many minutes remain in that hour to rest, eat, go to toilet or do whatever else you need to do. Now, normally, this is an in-person race. It takes place in Bell Buckle, Tennessee. But there was a really successful quarantine backyard ultra back in April. And that worked amazingly well. So this event has now been opened up to a worldwide audience. What's unique is it started at exactly the same time across the globe. So While some runners started early in the morning, some started midday, others started in the evening. And that was the case in Singapore where it started on Saturday evening. And as I say, it was literally five minutes from my house. So I went out and supported our guest that is on today. Now, just to give you a few stats, and we're going to go into more of the statistical side at the end of the episode. The longest distance ever recorded in this competition is 68 laps. So that's 283.3 miles. And that was by Johan Steen in October 2018. And in that same race, a female competitor, Courtney Dalwater, she recorded 67 laps. So these are mind-blowing stats. But once we uh, debrief on on this year's race, which quite frankly, unbelievable, and, and those that know about the event will already know how that unfolded. But we'll save that for our little debrief at the end. It's It's just frightening to see how incredible this is. So, Johnny, let's hear about our guest who we've got on today. Yeah, so for today, our guest not only inspires others to live an active and healthy lifestyle, but also attacks any and every type of challenging with the belief and championship mindset. 
We met her through Spartan, where she has won many elite podiums and completed the Spartan World Championship. She has transitioned in recent years from winning sprint medals at Singapore Master Championships to winning 100Ks Ultras. Her range is incredible. This time, she went out of her comfort zone yet again for the Backyard Ultra. Welcoming for this episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential, we have Natalie Dow. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. We're almost going to call this part one because we could have delved into so many different areas with you, but because this event is so recent and just has captured the running community in so many ways because it's just such an extraordinary event, an event without a finish line, we had to get you on and just seeing you out there coming out to to cheer you on, I was just completely blown away by this event. And as we mentioned before we came online, it was it was one of these events where I'd read about it but didn't realize how incredible and how enormous this was on a worldwide scale until I first of all started coming on and cheering you guys, but then researching a bit more into it. Yeah, Natalie, so tell us what got you involved in this? How did this come on your radar and what decided you to sign up for it? Yeah, so it was, I think because of COVID, it was um, a very different race with only 15 competitors allowed. So within Singapore, the competitors that took place were invited by the event organiser at Fatbird Events, which is Jerry. So you had to be Singaporean or, or PR to take part because it was seen as a national championships. So I was approached maybe like it was only four to five weeks before the actual event to see if I wanted to take place. And as we all know, there's been not a lot of racing in the last sort of nine months. So it was a good chance to take part in something super unique But we kept it very much on the lowdown just because of the uh, tight rules and regulations. So a lot of people didn't know what was going on until the very last minute. That was just because of safety rules. Yeah, it was one of those. Certainly, I I was observing the event online and obviously you guys were kept apart in the the tents, the start and finish line and obviously social distancing as the race was going on. They did an incredible job to ensure we fell in line with the regulations in Singapore, which was awesome. Yeah, they did a great job. Before the organizers approached you with this race, were you aware of the Backyard Ultra? And did you kind of have an idea of what it was? Yeah, I did. I actually had sort of had a look at a couple of documentaries and it's, you know, Laz, it's the same guy that does the Barclay Marathon. So he's known for doing crazy, unique things. And, you know, Jerry had actually talked about doing one as a race this year, but not, you know, not as part of the global event, but just to run one here in Singapore. So I did know about it, but I certainly did a lot more research as soon as I found out that I would actually be participating (laughs) within a month's time. During this lockdown period, training for me has just been going out and running how I feel because there's been nothing to train for. So, you know, over the last six months, I'm clocking anywhere from 110 to 160 kilometres a week. So I just hoped that I had enough in my legs to do that because four weeks out really isn't going to make a difference. So it was really just about trying to make sure I looked after myself and tapered going into that. But, you know, it would have been great to have a proper training plan six months out. But, you know, I think everyone was in the same spot. So you just trusted what you had. Yeah, definitely. With that training, Natalie, was that any interval tempo work or was it mainly slow, steady running? It was mainly slow, steady running because I hate interval work. So I should have done more interval work, you know, and I know (laughs) that. But, you know, and usually I would if I was prepping for an ultra, I would definitely have, you know, one to two sessions of some decent intervals in there a week. But with this, I, I threw a few in in the last couple of weeks, but 
you know, I would say 95% of it was long, slow, steady runs. So decent mileage actually leading up to it. You had obviously quite a good base. Four to five weeks out, you find out about the event. You had to formulate a race plan. What was your race plan going into the event? And did you have any success criteria which would see you finish the event and saying, yes, I achieved what I wanted to? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because, you know, as you said, the event has no end. So it's really working out what is the strategy around what average lap time and how much rest do you want? So some people want no rest. Some people want as much as possible. Because we started in the evening, I thought maybe getting a bit more rest at the beginning would be good to be able to have a a lie down and try and at least sleep during the the evening and then you start and you know things can go to crap (laughs) as well but I was going in thinking maybe coming in at 51 52 per lap would be great my actual average lap times in the end were 47 48 so faster than what I thought and maybe too fast in hindsight but very very consistent and then having a goal I purposely did not set a goal because I think mentally, if you reach it, then it's pretty hard to go past it. I didn't ever want to know what lap I was running. It was just get up and turn up at the start line and and run the next lap. So it was 52 minutes was the kind of in the back of your mind what you thought you would run. Yes. 48 minutes, four minutes quicker, giving you 11 to 12 minutes between each lap. Let's start with support. Was there any crew or anyone that was with you at the start and finish line? You're allowed one crew. So I had most of the time there was one person there. And when you're talking about that 11 or 12 minutes, it feels like about 30 seconds. To be honest, when you're there, you get in, you know, like I said, go to the bathroom, grab something to eat, maybe grab a Theragun, try and lie down or change your shoes. You know, you really just had to pick one thing to do each lap because otherwise it was too much. So it went super, super fast. And the crew, you know, they just were trying to, you know, more my crew were just trying to get food down me and making sure that my bottle was filled for the next lap, you know, check what I needed really. So it was fast. That transition time was, oh, my God, I've never seen 12 minutes go so fast in all my life. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of things were you using to refuel between in terms of both fluid and food? I was sort of alternating taking out on the course with me either tailwind, water or precision hydration. So sort of mixing those three things up. Um, If I was taking tailwind, then, you know, I wasn't so concerned on my calories that round. You know, for me, I was eating quite a lot of sandwiches seemed to be going down. And because it's so hot in Singapore, it was just getting calories in via liquid for me more than anything too during that time. So I could sort of stomach protein shakes, a bit of Coke, random things like jasmine green tea. It was whatever I was craving at the time. And, you know, I managed to to keep everything down, which was great. A lot of people didn't and a lot of people had stomach issues. That sort of seemed to work for me from a, a nutrition hydration. I didn't touch gels because I think in at least in this format, you're running back to the same place. So you're not having to carry nutrition yeah. on you. So you can be a bit more fussy with what you want to eat and drink at the time, yeah. which is quite the beauty of the race too. Did you take anything like a charcoal or a modium to, to settle the stomach or were you just had you trialed all the food or were you were you quite confident that everything would hold okay? I did take charcoal. Yeah. I knew that I could sort of 
you know, I lived on honey sandwiches and Vegemite sandwiches. (laughs) Um, So I knew that that was going to be pretty okay. You know, I'd eaten those in an ultra before, so I could could definitely stomach those. And then it was just really wanting something cold, I think, the whole time, you know, to keep you going. Did everything go according to plan with your food nutrition or was there any sort of mishap that did pop up? No, I don't think any mishap. I packed such a variety of food in case I felt like something. I found that the salty things were just making me too thirsty on the course. So I tried to stay away from those in the end. You know, my crew were wanting to get more calories into me. So, you know, trying to force feed at some point. But I think, you know, the tailwind and, you know, precision hydration and the water were the key for me. That really kept me going. Um, And I purposely did not take caffeine until about more than halfway through the race for me for what ended up being my end time I really wanted to put off putting any caffeine into my body was there anything you were really craving (laughs) yeah the jasmine green tea just the old you know one from the garage it was I think because it was cold and it was easy to get down you know there's a few calories in it but probably not enough that was something that just seemed to settle my stomach and get me going with your kit natalie what did you start with in terms of footwear and apparel and then did you make any changes as you went through so i was bike shorts running bra the whole way i changed them once during the race you know we got absolutely rained on and it stormed for quite a while so you know i changed after that shoes and socks i changed my socks about five times during the race and shoes three times just because they were saturated and I think from a foot care point of view you know that was that was one of the pluses of doing a race like this is you can actually change your socks and shoes where you can't normally in an ultra so looking after your feet was definitely key and so I think to change them more often than not was was actually an advantage. Just to let our listeners know about the course so it was mainly asphalt but what made it a little bit trickier was there was a bridge that you had to go up across and down on every loop so whilst the majority of the running was flat there were some steps cross over basically a road before they hit east coast park which is where the majority of the, the running took place what was the footwear you chose for the event? What, what did you wear on your feet? Yeah, so I had Under Armour Hover Infinites on, which are my normal yep. running shoe. I run in every day, so they were they were great. They're, you know, a road running shoe. You know, they served me well. I actually bought a pair with me that were half a size bigger too, just for feet swelling towards the end of the race. So I changed into the ones that were a little bit bigger towards the end just to give my toes a bit more room. A couple of blisters under toenails, but nothing too bad. I think my feet fared pretty well. Great. And and then with socks, it's sometimes something that's overlooked. Me and Johnny are big fans of Injinji, but I imagine when you're trying to change socks quickly, toe socks may not be the uh, ideal solution. So <laughs> yeah. what, 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 what yeah, I've run in the same socks for years, a sock called Right Running Socks with a W. Okay. And they're sort of double layer, non-blister, and they just seem to serve me well. And I've just stuck to those. You know, they're a synthetic sock and work well. So, you know, I just had a ton of those in a plastic bag and kept changing those out. Nice. And then let's hear about the race then. So 8pm flag off. Tell us how it started, when it started getting difficult, yeah. and then when you knew it was time to uh, knock it on the head? 
Yeah, so it was, you know, everyone's a bit, I think, nervous as you always are, lap one. You know, I'd run the the course twice. I walked it once and ran the loop once, but you're really not sure how you're going to pace it. And I figured you're going to be doing enough laps to work out how you're going to pace it and settle into it eventually. So everyone started out, got back safely, and it was pretty busy on East Coast, as you said. You know, it was, there's bikes everywhere, there's barbecues. It was pretty stressful running some of that. So when you talk about the over pass and then there was also an underpass that was actually the highlight because it was nice and quiet and not too bad so I think as the night went on I was running with a lady called Sue Corsa which you know I had never actually met before this race and we ended up running 20 laps together it was nice having someone there earphones were in and out at certain times at about 1am we both decided we needed a bit of music to to get us going but Always interesting watching the games that go on during these laps. You know, sometimes you'd get someone that would sprint off and finish the lap in like 42 minutes and then wow. they'd, they'd finish it in 55, the one after. So there was there was definitely games going on during this. Some people's strategy were, you know, remain consistent. They would walk, run the whole time and come in with like 57 minutes on the clock and only three minute turnaround. It was super, super interesting, yeah, to see. And then, you know, everyone held pretty tight. Unfortunately, Winnie, the first one to drop, had stomach issues. So she was the first to go. But I think we we're actually quite lucky that it rained just before sunrise and then it made the morning much cooler. So had we got up and it turned out to be a super hot day immediately, I think maybe more people would have dropped early. But everyone held in there for much longer than what I personally thought people would hang in there for. And then you sort of just started to see people's times getting longer or, you know, seizing up or looking more tired or having stomach issues. And you know, one by one, people started to drop or they had a goal in their mind and they'd reached it and mentally they couldn't go on. When was the point where you were like, okay, this is now turning into not just a physical battle, a mental battle. I'm, I'm not sure how much is left in the tank here. What kind of stage in the race? You know, I think you, you go through so many highs and lows during that su- such a long period. It was about maybe lap six. No, maybe like 15, I was sort of feeling a bit low. And, you know, so I I sort of thought time to put the music on and give myself a lift because I don't normally listen to music when I run. That got me going a bit more. What did you have on the headphones? I had a really random playlist with everything from hardcore heavy metal to 80s to hip hop nice and a bit of a joe rogan podcast in there at one point as well so i've got a big recommendation for you natalie the unlocking athletic potential podcast yes yes i know that that would definitely help see you through (laughs) i did listen to a couple of episodes pre that so that's okay okay Okay, cool. We like um, that. Yes, yeah, to get inspiration before. Um, but, you know, I actually just enjoyed listening to nothing most of the time to be present. Yeah. I think for me, I feel like when I'm running in an ultra race, that to me, I enjoy I enjoy that part of it more and that mental part of it more. Sue, who I was running with, gave up at 20 hours. So, you know, then it was and more people were dropping out. So then I think it was like, okay, well, you know, what is this going to look like? And and my goal was, was always to run more than 24 if I was capable. I just kept showing up 
on the on the start line to see what would happen. And and you got to that goal. You got to twenty four laps, so yeah. hundred miles, which yes, I think is. When you look at this event and you realise that the 6.7 times 24 is 100 miles, you kind of almost feel like that is the the kind of benchmark that the race was designed for, right? And so congratulations for that, because I know that was the furthest that I believe you've you've ever ran. I know you've tackled a couple of 100km ultras and, you know, you won the Kuching Ultra back in April, I believe, yeah. earlier this year. And, and this is obviously, as we've mentioned at the start of the show, coming from like a CrossFit <laughs> sprint background, really. And, and I know you've had some Spartan and, and a few other testing events mentally, but certainly in terms of the distance events, this is the furthest you've been. Um, did you start that 25th lap or you were like, nah, done? Or... Yeah, you know, and as you said, I think, you know, I've done, this was only my third ultra and the other ones, you know, were 100K and they were done in 11 hours. So to run 24 and, you know, is a, a lot further. Mentally, I was 100% fine. I was I was worried before the race how I would deal with the no sleeps. I was good to go and everyone was, you know, you look fresh, you look great, but, you know, my hips just seized up. And I, I look at the videos now and I'm really leaning to the right and sort of struggling. And I got up to do the 25th lap and walked down the street and came back because I just literally um, thought I would do myself some damage and you know didn't really want to finish on 24th because it's so cliched really had sort of 30 in my mind that you know if I could just do a few more but unfortunately that uh, that was it for the day yeah I, I hear you but at the same time wow just an amazing achievement particularly as you've mentioned this is the third ultra that you've tackled and the furthest you've ever ran and I guess I'm quite intrigued with the stop starts. If this was a continuous race, do you think that would have made it easier? Or do you feel like the fact that you had some time to rest made it easier? Or was it a case of the stop start completely disrupted your rhythm? How did you find that kind of mechanism? Stop start was terrible. I would 100% just rather continue running. I think in the back of your mind, you know, you've got this pressure that you have to finish in a certain time. So even though you're thinking it's quite, you know, it's an hour, that's okay. And you can afford to run walk some of it if you want to. There's still that pressure. I would much prefer just to keep running through. Then you can control your own race and decide if you want to stop and have a rest. I personally think a normal ultra is much easier and I would never think I would say ultra and easy in the same sentence. <laughs> um, but, but I think I think that this format is way tougher and way tougher mentally to get yourself out of that chair and back on that start line. So now was there any sort of mental preparation? I mean, going into the mentality part, was there any mental preparation that you did before going into this race? And was there anything that helped you overcome, say, the fatigue, the tiredness or any areas you were dealing with as you were tackling this 24 hours? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I'm a big podcast listener, so I love listening to experts and sports scientists and things around the mind and how to unlock potential in that. So I sort of, I guess, crammed in as many podcasts as I could beforehand, just trying to seek out any little bits of information or nuggets that that would help during the time and something that I could call on. You know, I'm 48 now. So I believe as you get older, you're mentally more tough a lot of times. So 
I feel like I'm tougher in that aspect, maybe more so than physically. And then, you know, you've got to know your why when you're running something like that. And if you don't, then, you know, your mind will give up way before your body does. You know, I always think I'm running for my daughter to show her what can be done. So keeping that in the back of my mind always, if I'm hitting a low spot, thinking about why am I doing this? Have you listened to the new Nick Gulab episode, Natalie? No, I haven't. He's the guy that broke Mo Farah's 5K and British record on the road. And he oh, said, wow. I'll let my body break down before my mind. Yes. Yeah. So, absolutely. you know, it's, it's great that you've got the same mentality there. Were there any other mantras running through your mind? A friend of mine who's a very good marathon runner, she said to me, I said on every step, you know, I run for whatever it is that you run for. And she's like, if I just needed to break the monotony, I would be thinking of all the people I'm running for and just just say that, even if it was just for, you know, 60 seconds or two minutes, just to, to remind myself as a quick one. But really, that was it. For me, it's just being present understanding where you are, knowing that the pain isn't going to be there long term and everything is just for a moment. So just trying to get through that. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. So it's been, what, 60 hours after your race? How are you currently feeling? Yeah, so, you know, I'm surprisingly good, <laughs> which then wow. uh, I, think, I sort of think, God, maybe I should have gone longer now that I'm <laughs> feeling so good. Um, yeah, I went for my first uh, recovery run this morning, so I just did a very slow 10Ks and felt okay. And, you know, I think I got some good sleep when the race finished, you know, albeit waking up with sore hips, but, you know, went for a walk, I've been in the pool, been in my recovery systems pants, which obviously help a lot. I have a physio appointment booked for tomorrow, but feeling okay and just making sure that the hydration continues straight after the race too, which I think a lot of people forget about. And my body was actually just craving really good, healthy food. So, you know, I made sure the first thing I put in my body was some good, clean food after everything that it had eaten. So, yeah, I'm surprisingly, you know, I'm not hobbling around or anything. I'm feeling good. I think it goes wow. towards the routine that you already have set and all that recovery methodologies that you have going on all those will help with your recovery and it really sounds like you have that all dialed down and it just really shows also the resiliency of your body with that yes the training that you've been doing through all these months and years right yes i think so and i think it's that slow build up and like you said it's this is your life and you know how to recover and you know how to fuel your body properly so i think that certainly helps because the recovery bit is is everything now yeah, there's so much more focus on that recovery in sort of like in the last five years than I've ever known. People are realizing that, yeah, you put the hard work in, but actually the gains are made through the next 24, 48 hours yeah. through the recovery. And certainly when I was competing at what I would consider kind of my elite level, you know, there was just very little focus on recovery. Yeah. The majority of the focus was on working hard, no days off, grinding day after day. And I just wish... I knew what I knew now, but then that's life, that's hindsight, and, and we move on, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think as you get older too, you need to spend more time on recovery. And, and, you know, people have to understand their body and listen to it a little bit more too. Yeah, for sure. So knowing what you know now, going through this event and uh, tackling this challenge, question is, would you do this again? Yeah, 100% I would. Yeah, yeah. 
having the experience and knowing what to expect is always key in something like this. So I feel like I'd be better equipped to do it next time. You'd almost let yourself enjoy it a bit more next time. Yes is the answer. What would you do differently though? I think it'd be interesting to do it as a challenge self-supported. That would be an interesting way to do it. I really do think I would probably aim to do my laps a little bit slower next time and be a bit more consistent around those 52, 53 minute laps rather than put the pressure on of trying to get some sleep or rest. I think I would actually, you know, focus on keeping those laps a tiny bit slower because that three to five minutes, I think would make a big difference. And I guess what else would you add into your lunchbox or toolkit as you get back in that transition zone? Is there anything missing in your in your whole nutrition that you really, really wanted and hope you had? I think it was okay. You know, and nutrition's so crazy with racing because what works one race doesn't work the next race sometimes. So I think it's just constantly trying things, it's just out on training runs to see if it goes down well or or doesn't. So, you know, next time maybe it's trying to get some pasta down or something like that, that a bit heavier in carbs and a bit saltier maybe than just, I tried to stay away from sweet stuff with the sugar highs, but yeah, maybe something a bit more substantial next time. It sounded like you gave yourself quite a range of options. So you were never sure mm. of what you needed. It was like better to have too much than crave something that isn't there. And that sounds like great advice anybody could take away. At the end of the day, it's better to have the choice than, than not have it there at all, right? Oh, 100%. You're better off. If you don't eat it, it doesn't matter. If you haven't got it there, then you'll, you'll definitely want it. Um, and as I said, it's a nice change from doing a, an ultra race and, you know, basically just relying on gels or aid station food, which you can't control. I've got to say, the I've only done one ultra and at this moment in time, as much as I admire what you've done, Natalie, and what everybody else has done around the world, I'm not sure quite if I if I will go in that space again. But <laughs> the, game, the game changer for me was um, I had a change of hydration vests. And what I'd done is I'd kept my second hydration vest when I did the change in an, like an ice cooler, and I'd filled it with ice. And just when I changed my hydration vest at a transition zone, that was like a game changer for me. Just letting this ice melt in my backpack, I stacked it in all the pockets. Probably, you know, one of the best feelings ever, like just, just that <laughs> midday heat and then coming back to changing that on, it was like heaven. I'm not sure if that's something you'd consider or change, but for me, that was, that was a game changer. And yeah, yeah, definitely felt positive from that one. Yeah, and I think, you know, every lap on this thing, I had a cold towel. So I think absolutely to your point, you needed to keep yourself feeling fresh, hence the change your clothes or whatever, just to to feel like you're not in the same thing for 24 hours. You know, at least you've freshened up during it. To wrap this up, Natalie, thank you for joining us. Do you have any shout outs to sponsors or any family, friends that supported you along the way? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, obviously, my husband, daughter, and seat also crewed for me during it. So they were fantastic. You know, the organizers, Fatbird Events and Jerry and Megan just kicked it out of the park. You know, organizing this type of event during COVID is insane. My fantastic friends at Under Armour and, uh, and Polar always coming through with the goods for me. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, appreciate all of the help I get from them. We're hoping this is part one and, and we certainly want to get you on 
the the pod again but where can people find out more about your journey how can people find out a bit more about you and and, and all the challenges that you set yourself yeah sure so best thing on social media is my handle which is rockstar arms bad joke that stuck um so that's the best on instagram or facebook is the best way to follow what i'm up to yeah and there's lots of links on there because obviously you've got your own website as well and so much content out there for you um i'm sure once people get onto your instagram they can delve into other areas as there as well Awesome. Well, look, we're going to let you get back to some recovery, even though it sounds like you're actually doing pretty yeah. well. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, we're going to do a little debrief. We're going to talk about how the event actually unfolded. But yeah, thanks again for your time, Natalie. And um, look forward to catching up with you very soon indeed. For that part thanks, too. guys. <laughs> so amazing to have Natalie on just a few days after finishing that event. And the actual event actually only finished... So we're recording on Wednesday, the 21st of October. I actually finished just yesterday. And in terms of the actual event at the event venue, so as we, as we mentioned, the event is normally held in Tennessee. It was Corny Dowater, the winner in 68 laps, which basically tied the record set in, in 2018. And there was quite a strong field there. Harvey Lewis and, and many of our OCR athletes listening to the pod will know Amelia Boone who was also involved in that event but on the worldwide level a brand new record was set and that was by a Belgian Carol Saber he recorded 75 laps that's 502 kilometers to take the overall win which is just absolutely (laughs) unbelievable now I had a little look into Carol Saber and he's got a pretty impressive ultra running resume but as Natalie alluded to kind of the stop start nature of this event actually means that you're bound by having to start on the hour every hour you can't choose when you want to rest recover sleep you have to go on that marker and there were two Belgians actually working together initially Uh, the person that finishes second is known as the assist Um, but officially only one person finishes the event. And then when they knew it was just down to those two on the global level, it turned into a race between the two and Carol Sabre came away on top. Got some some facts from that race. So he averaged between 46 and 47 minute laps. And then on his 67th lap, he posted a time of 42 minutes, which is a 6.21 per kilometre pace, which, (laughs) you know, after three days of racing and just like 10 or so minutes sleep within that three days, that just again blows my mind now johnny you've had a bit of i wouldn't say obviously on the same level but you have tackled a multi-day ultra as part of a team right do you want to talk to me a little bit about that event and how how that compared to what we've just heard from natalie yeah so i guess not in the same caliber but definitely still a ultra endurance event what we consider it was uh the speed project so a bit of a unorganized well sorry it's an organized race but the map is on your own you can choose whichever direction you go towards but it starts from LA. So we're starting from Santa Monica in LA, running all the way to Vegas. And our team, there's a group of eight. And that's uh, 340 miles. So about 550k that you need to get from LA to Vegas. And definitely just hearing that sounds awesome. But that took us about 
47 hours right below that we were aiming for sub 50 and we got that and and it's interesting because with these multi-day races uh just because of this distance of it it's uh strategy wise it's up to us to figure out how many uh, mileage we want to run per person when we switch off because that's part of the this specific race that you have free reign you have the choice of changing up the athletes whenever you want to uh resting as you want to but at least at one point one runner has to be moving at any given point so for us i probably put in more than well i think say like 80k worth of running on that just in that time frame but at any given point i was running probably like a five to ten k at a time and probably with like two to three hour rest in between we're constantly switching off so at least one runner is always running and it's great i mean definitely a fun and different experience definitely not as intense i would say as the backyard ultra or where you have to start every hour on the hour at least we had a little bit longer of a break when we needed to but at no point did we actually everybody pulled off to a pit stop and took a complete rest someone was always running we were always cheering more likely than that none of us really were sleeping just because of how stoked and amped up we were even when it's the middle of the night and you know running through an area called death valley definitely will uh, stoke the flames and give you a bit of an excitement so yeah that was my adventure through that I was going to say as well, Johnny, is this Backyard Ultra an event that you could see yourself doing in the future? I'm curious and interested, but normally in the realm of uh, longer distance running, like ultras, I uh, tend to not go towards that route just because I guess that's been my my experience. But the challenge itself sounds fun. I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't mind tackling it. Okay, interesting. As I mentioned on the show, not something that interests me, but something I am in awe of. Mm-hmm. And I think with our guest as well, Natalie, we definitely have to get her back on the podcast because the other runners all had a considerable background in endurance running. Natalie just seems to be able to switch from one type of event, whether that's CrossFit, Spartan, sprinting, into a completely different realm and really compete at a high level. It's not just like she's turning up and participating. She goes out there and does an incredible job. And again, we kind of alluded to it on the podcast, but it's her mindset that sets her apart. And she says that's down to experience. She's definitely someone I would recommend our listeners to follow because she practices what she preaches. She's a living example of someone, you know, she's mentioned she's 48. And if you look at what she gets up to her profile, you would not believe that she's that age, you know, she's just in incredible shape, but able to adapt to whatever the challenge is. It's, it's pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes to show, right? Age is just a number. And with Natalie, it's not even, it's not even, she's just, she's not there for the participation point. She's really there to push herself and give herself that challenge and to show up and compete and just to see what potential she can unlock and how much more fun she can have with it. Yeah, and she said she's up for doing that event again. And I think she's really enjoying and embracing these longer events. And I'm excited to see what she does next year. And maybe that would be the the ideal opportunity to get her back on. But I'm sure there's going to be some other challenges and some other points of interest she'll she'll tackle before that point as well. Yeah, and it was quite interesting as well, I found, that mantra of of letting her uh, body break down before her mind and how that coincided with the Nick Gulab episode again we see a lot of recurring themes throughout the podcast and it's, it's just interesting that yet again that that mindset is such a key factor in terms of people performing to their best unlocking their athletic potential right absolutely I mean you know how it goes right your body can only push so far but your mind will really push it that much further and that my friends is unlocking athletic potential 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode and taken something away with you to help you perfect your craft.